0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with Nick Bilby, who's from out in Port Angeles, Washington. And we'll talk to Nick about a lot of things, but one cool thing that they do out on the West Coast is uh, once you win a semi-pro competition, you're, like, officially turned pro, and Nick did that this year. So we'll go ahead and bring Nick on. All right, so I'm here with Nick Bilby. Hi, Nick.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: How are things going out on the West Coast?
1: Today, they're hot and muggy, but other than that, it's just been busy. Lots of work.
0: So that's good, right? Yeah. Lots of work. Yeah. (laughs) So the first question I have for you, and I pretty much asked everybody this, I guess, (laughs) because everybody wants to know. Uh, What's what's your story? How did you start doing that carving?
1: Well, I started, uh, I'd never done any kind of carving. I used to draw a lot when I was a kid. Um, And I was always kind of into artistic things and then the real world hit and I had to work for a living instead of draw. And (laughs) so I stopped drawing. I mean, I hadn't done anything really artistic or anything like that since I was probably 17 years old. And then um, when I was 36 years old, about three years ago, I um, was making things for my wife. My wife loved uh, garden stuff and like fairy houses and stuff like that. And I was laid off from work. I used to do concrete for a living um, in the union and I had to do lots of traveling and be away from home a lot and work really slowed down for a while. And so I was at home a bunch and she liked these fairy house things and I started building them and they were really hard to make. So I started Googling how to carve them. I figured it would be easier to carve them than it would be to actually build like every little shingle and everything. Uh So I started Googling how to carve things and I started looking at like spirit faces and stuff like that. And I carved a fairy house, which turned out pretty cool actually for my very first carving. Um, And I bought about every tool that you could think of that I never use anymore. Uh, (laughs) And, and started making a couple fairy houses and they, they turned out really nice and people really liked them when my wife would post them. And then people started asking if I could make bears and eagles. And of course I told them, I, I think I can do that. And, uh, and I started doing more research and, you know, started getting, uh, started seeing pictures of chainsaw carvings and videos on it and stuff, and was pretty well in awe of what people were doing. But at the same time, I thought I can, I can, I think I can do that too. And so I, I made my, I got my first order from some people and I carved a, um, a bear and a fish and the bear sort of kind of turned out like a koala bear slash Raccoon slash something else. <laughs> hey,
0: that's better. At least it was a mammal. Mine didn't. I don't know if mine looked like a mammal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, then the people uh, actually unfriended me on Facebook, and I never heard from them again. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so that was my experience with my very first commissioned order.
0: Um, <laughs> like no more commission.
1: You know, I mean, I, and it never really occurred to me what even really happened, but I, yeah. I just continued making them and actually I cut the bear up and I carved it into some pumpkins because I've seen people carving pumpkins all the time and figured those were easy enough, some spray paint and whatnot, and, and those sold right away. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I knew nothing about carving. I mean, like I said, I watched a few videos on it and I thought that my... I've ran chainsaws forever, but I always used big saws to cut firewood and stuff. So I had this, what I thought was a little saw, which was about a 60 CC chainsaw with a 22 inch bar on it. And that was, (laughs) that was my carving saw. Right. And, and I actually made quite a few carvings with it. I carved a big salmon bench with it and did trees on the side. And uh, I got a, I seen on Amazon, I ordered a cheap carving bar. And when I got that thing and put it on a small saw, I was in, in, I mean, I was amazed at what I could do with that and with right. the other saws. But other than that, I mean, I really, I started uh, researching lots of carvings. I started uh, following lots of carvers on Facebook, seeing what they were making, seeing how they were doing it and just started working at making different things. And it, I mean, basically, since I started doing it, I've, cause I was out of work at the time. I started basically full-time carving ever since I started. And it's just happened to work out. Um, and I haven't had to do much concrete since, I mean, I did, I would do concrete and carve for a little while, just when I wasn't doing concrete, I'd carve. And when I wasn't carving, I'd do concrete just to make ends meet. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I went to a, I was obsessed with Bob King, of course. And, you know, he's the, one of the first people that always comes up when you Google it. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: And how are you just a few hours away or
1: from Bob King's place? Yeah. Yeah. I'm about two hours and 20 minutes from his house. And it
0: seems like there's a lot of carvers out by you guys.
1: (laughs) Yes. There's lots of carvers out here just in Port Angeles, Port Angeles isn't too bad, but we have one, two, three, four, five. I think there's five or six carvers here.
0: I know. And I can, I can never decide. I don't do it full time, so it maybe doesn't affect me as much, but sometimes having more carvers means that the people in the area are much more aware of carvings and what they are and what they're worth and they'll buy more of them. And then I've heard other people say, no, there can be too many carvers.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that you could flood the market with it. I mean, but I've also, you know, I I learned to have a good work ethic, you know, working in the union and stuff like that. I had to have a good work ethic. And, and I mean, I'm not putting down carvers, but there's a lot of carvers that, uh, you know, they kind of, I don't know. I shouldn't say they don't work hard because they do work hard, but they don't put as much effort. I put a lot of effort into what I do. Um, I I carve, I try to carve every day if I can, just because I want to be better. And I I know
0: with anything where you're self-employed, whether it be carving or something else, self-discipline really comes into it. You know, like a lot of people that work from home have a tough time. Not that you have to keep an exact schedule, but somewhat keeping a schedule and making sure that you're putting in enough time to be successful. It can be really easy when you're your own boss to like slack off or skip things.
1: Well, I I used to carve at home and, uh, and that it did become distracting because if it was too cold out or it was raining too much or it was too hot out, it was really easy to go watch TV, take a nap. And I don't, I don't carve at home anymore. I work at a um, small uh, specialty mill and I get to carve there. So I, I travel to work and I, you know, I kind of try to work it. Now, now that I've become a little more in tune with what I'm doing, I try to work it basically like a eight to five job. You know, I try mm-hmm. not to work. Now, I try not to work so much on. I used to work on weekends and stuff all the time. Now, I try to be at home if I can, or if I'm really busy, then I can choose to work on weekends. Um, right. And, uh, but I mean, I think my family is just as important as being successful. So I gotta. Yeah time there too
0: <clears throat> well I don't think I know anybody else that's gotten into chainsaw carving like you have you have a unique story with the fairy houses <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome that was a huge gap at the beginning of your story you were talking about you hadn't made art since you were 17 yeah that's a long time to go without me creating that yeah I,
1: I mean I just got into well I mean, a big part of my story is I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic, so that doesn't really help with uh, um, with being artistic and creating stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that's just part of my story too. But I, you know, I mean, since I've been sober nine years, um, and since I've became, I don't think that I was capable of doing it then, and now I can because I have a better head, I'm more focused. Sure. On life, and I'm more focused on um, doing something that I love instead of just. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's been a, a pretty crazy journey on how this has all started. And I mean, I didn't even like I said. I mean, I, I was even you know I mean all these people you'd see them on the internet, all their names would come up, and it's like wow, you're just in awe of these people. And I mean, and and most of them, I mean pretty much all of them. They're just normal people just like me or you. <laughs> and
0: Right. Um, it's incredible yeah. the community that we've been able to create with the internet through chainsaw carving. And I know it's like that with other things too. You know, you can, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, people that have similar interests as you close to you because you can connect with people all over the country and all over the world.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I've made a ton of connections. Um, <clears throat> um, um, just, just on Facebook with people. And then, yeah. you know, and eventually a lot of times doing what we do, we travel somewhere and we get to meet them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's what I was even going back to um, Bob. I see, you know, I was following like every step that he made like a stalker or something. And then I seen on a <laughs> webpage that they were going to be in Squim, you know, right next to the town I live in. And so I just had to go there to meet Bob, and I—I I mean, I didn't even know that there was other. I didn't even know they did carving shows, <laughs> and I right. went there and there was like fifteen carvers there, and uh, you know, I was talking to him, and they're like, "Well, go get your chainsaws and come back and carve." And um, Steve Bacchus, he's like, "You can go over there and you can carve next to the guy in the big motorhome." I'm like, "I ain't gonna go carve next to that guy." <laughs> it's like, don't you know who he is? <laughs> He's famous. I can't carve next to him. And uh, I know.
0: I remember Hackensack used to be a really big event, and I remember the first year that Zoe Bonnie came. Um, and I was, I was just like you. I was totally starstruck, and I couldn't believe that. I actually got to talk to her a whole bunch.
1: <laughs> hey, and what that do you know? They're horrible. actually just normal people.
0: <laughs> I know. And then. Um, first time that I got invited to be in the Eau Claire competition, I remember posting like, Holy shit, I'm in a book with Chris Waltz. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he was so nice to me, he posted back, Holy shit, I'm in a book with Molly Whisty and he didn't even know who I was. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun.
1: Yeah, and it's that's what's that and that's one thing I love about the chainsaw carving community is that, you know, even the people that are way up top, you know, I haven't met a a lot of them, but I've met quite a few of them and, you know, they're just regular people. And most of them are willing to help you out with anything that you need, you know, as far as their knowledge goes. Um, Yeah. And, and I mean, Bob has been a, a huge, huge help in um, what I'm doing. I mean, he's given good advice. I mean, he's let me come over and carve and And one thing I really appreciate is he doesn't try to change the way that I carve. He just tries to um, show me how to perfect the way that I carve, not carve the way he carves. That's cool. um, You know, because there's a lot of carvers out there that carve the same thing as everybody else. You know, it's like they go carve with another carver and pretty soon they're carving their carvings. And, uh, And, and one thing that I really appreciated about Bob's work was realism. And that's what, you know, I, I love animals. Um, I, I do lots of hunting and fishing. And so, I mean, I really, I really love animals. I mean, at one point I thought about doing taxidermy or something like that. And, um, and and that's why I seek, you know, realism when it comes to carving, um, hard time even trying to carve something silly. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have some hard time making something not look silly, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but that's just the learning curve of all of it. And
0: I know, I know sometimes I'm going for realism and people are looking at it, like commenting how it's not realistic. And I'm like, oh shoot. But, (laughs) but then I just the carving and my husband's like, it, it, she, the girl looks kind of odd. And I'm like, this one I'm going for cartoon. (laughs) I don't want it to look (laughs) real, so just
1: disclaimer. And uh, yeah, I mean, you just know. I mean, and all the carving, all my carvings, I I have a hard time repeating myself and making the same thing twice. But um, and actually, I don't even like to do that. I like my car. You know, my new newest carving to be better than my last carving. And
0: right.
1: Um. So it's and that's that's what keeps me entertained with it really is I can constantly grow. There's always somebody out there that's better and faster. And, you know, and if the way I see it, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, and I can all I have to do is work hard and, and it's been proven to be true. You know, the harder I work, the better I get, um, the more people I meet, the more opportunities come about and, um, And I think that's one big thing to be in a successful carver is just, you know, have work hard and be humble. And yeah, it just seems to work out.
0: (laughs) Right. How do you typically sell your carvings, and why? Like, do you do wholesale or commissions or on-site carvings or I don't know what else I'm missing, but what do you usually do?
1: I mostly do commission work. would be probably 90% of my work. And, okay. and I I do, I mean, between the commission work and doing stump jobs, I, I stay really busy. Um, I've, I, I don't do a lot of like inventory style carvings. I've done a little bit of wholesale stuff. I don't really care for, you know, I don't care for high output um, carvings, you know, like trying yeah. to just produce something. I like to, take my, take my time and make something that's special and cool. Um, right. So, so I really enjoy doing commission work. And I think that I, when it comes to trying to please a customer, when they have an idea in their head and you're trying to make that idea come to life, um, that's the part that I really enjoy. And sometimes it's very uh, stressful too, but for the most Mm -hmm. customers are pretty, pretty well-rounded and, you know, they're usually really appreciative.
0: Yeah, I haven't had. I do a lot of commission work, and I haven't had too many bad customers. I uh, I laugh though because uh, I'm not even sure how to say it. But you, you know, you get some customers that are like, "This is awesome! I love it! Like nailed it! This is exactly what I was thinking!" And then I just had a customer that uh, I did an site and he was like, "Looks good. Here's your check." <laughs> and yeah, and I'm going, wait wait though dude are you happy like do you do you, do you like it like do you you know because <laughs> and then he did email me later and he was like oh all people love it my wife loves it and he was way more animated in his email but in person i was like so are we good
1: <laughs> yeah i've actually ran across the same thing um you know i i get I've even got people where it's like, I'm going, I hate this carving. I mean, I hate everything about it. I'm not happy with it. And they're just fully blown away. And like you said, they're just jacked. They're like, this is the best thing that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Really? (laughs) I'm like, okay. Um, That's weird. I mean, I hate it myself, but I'm not even going to post a picture of it because I'm embarrassed of it. But as long as (laughs) And then, you know, I've had other carvings where it's like, man, I think I really nailed this one. And just like you said, the customer's like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. Right.
0: And you can't read them.
1: I'm like, well, you know, do you like it? I mean, I get, I start getting nervous at that point. It's like, oh, maybe this person doesn't like it. I mean, they're yeah. just because they think they have to. and <laughs> <laughs> And I've also had some of those people that are, that respond that way, actually be some of my best customers that keep ordering stuff. And yeah. Um, That's just the way they they react to things. Um,
0: I know my my dad said the guy that wasn't acting very excited. I was down in southeastern Minnesota, and they're mostly Norwegian, and I'm a lot Norwegian, so I can tease them. But they're not very they're not very animated. Yeah. Um.
1: And as far as like I've 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 had a few customers that were hard to deal with, but not a lot. I mean, not enough to really pay attention to. I mean, most people, if they're in the market to buy a sculpture or whatever, then they're, uh, most of them are pretty easy to deal with. And most of them, usually I've found pick me because they want my work. So it doesn't really matter how I do on it as long as I do yeah. my work. And, um, and that's the way I've kind of went about it too. Cause it's most people, I don't try to sell them a carving. I mean, I'm not i yeah. I'm a carver, um, so I don't try to push carvings on people. It's like, if they want it, then they're going to buy it. If they're not going to buy it, then they're going to go on their merry way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I had someone too early on in my carving career, tell me, you know, never, never to tell customers or say, if I don't like one of my carvings, cause you know how you were just talking sometimes when I hate it, they love it. So, yeah. <laughs> so the carver was like, don't, don't ever say that it's not your favorite carving or that you don't like it. I actually had a sale one time at my house and I had a bear from a long time ago that I'd kind of messed up like laying over by my garage. And then I had all my really nice stuff set up and this lady bought the bear that was laying over by the garage. And I, I, it was one of those where I was like, I wanted to make sure my name wasn't on it because I, didn't. I threw it over there to get rid of it.
1: Well, I I, uh, I use I mean you know you get your carvings that don't turn out really good and you know I throw them in the scrap pile or cut the head off and make something else out of the piece of wood and I'd throw them in my scrap pile and then I had people that were coming and getting firewood and I just sure. threw them and they'd haul it off and. I went to one of their houses and they had all these scrap carvings that I did, you know, all over in their yard and they're posted up everywhere. And I'm like, well, that isn't cool. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even really want them up there because there were stuff that I scrapped anyways. It wasn't what I liked, you know? And right. I'm like, you know, if you guys want carvings, you can buy carvings, but I don't really want my scrap carvings posted up in your yard. So now I got to Little pieces. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cut them in smaller pieces or burn them right away.
1: <laughs> yeah, It's like, man, I don't want that thing. It's like, Hey, who carved that? Nick did, you know, it's like, no. No. <laughs> Not claiming that one. It wasn't me. <laughs> oh. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, customers. And I mean, for the most part, I enjoy dealing with customers. I mean, like I said, I've had very few that are hard to deal with. I've had a few here and there. Um, but you know, most of, they're far and few between, so it's not worth getting too riled up about. I've never had any that were like downright mean or anything. I've, I've had a few that, um, stiffed me. I had, I had a lady and her husband, they stiffed me on, uh, about a $3,000 carving that, that kind of stung. It stinks.
0: It's nice if it's something with resellable, right? Like, like a, a bear, but if it's something really specific and it's a commission, you're like, man, what am I going to do with this now?
1: Well, and this was like a um, 12 foot wide sculpture of an eagle with like, and it was more like a abstract eagle with driftwood looking wings and stuff. And yeah, who am I going to sell this thing to? And it weighed about 3000 pounds. Right. And I ended up selling it to a friend of mine for half of what I was going to get for it. And then mm-hmm. the, the very next day that I sold or after I sold it, um, I had a guy call up and say, Hey, I want to buy that Eagle. So, um, so I ended up selling another one. So it worked out good. That's like I said, it's, it's like, I think if you, uh, stay humble and work hard and, I think that everything will just, it just seems to work out. And
0: and
1: like you build good karma, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated and, and the good karma, it comes around usually when you don't expect it to come around, but it comes around.
0: Good advice. So I, I actually met you at Reedport. So I, I know you go to that event. Do you go to any other events or competitions or what have you been doing?
1: Um yeah, this was this was my third year at Reedsport and I usually do I do quite a few there's quite a few smaller local shows up here in the Northwest Washington um that are just small, you know, maybe um ten to fifteen carvers, just little auction style shows. Um and then I also do the McKinsey River um carving show down in uh just outside of Eugene, Oregon, and that's a pretty fun event. And that's a there's a lot of there's a lot of good names there, and it's kind of like a it's not a big big money event, but at the same time, there's really good carvers, and everybody camps there and hangs out, and you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, really pretty setting, right on the McKenzie River. Um, so it's a really cool show. That's
0: cool. I like shows where the Carvers get to hang out more, you know, like they're either all at the same hotel or all camping at the same spot instead of everybody kind of just leaving and going home at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, that's one of the things I like about that show, like Reed's port, it's kind of like head to head, you know, everybody's, you know, focused on finishing their piece for in a certain time and they're trying to beat the guy next to them and um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of the shows that I do up here don't have that, um, uh, mentality, you know, they're mostly, you just carve for an auction and, sure. uh, um, and I, I mean, I, I don't, the first year, the first year I carved, I mean, I'd only been carving a year and I did reeds the first time and that was like, um, insane, they put me right next to Mark Culp, and <laughs> they're telling me I got to do a quick carve in an hour and a half. And I'm like, looking at my wife going, can I actually make something in an hour and a half? <laughs> I don't know I if I can. And, uh, and then I've just, I've started just, you know, I'm getting my name out there and I've gotten, um, the first year I did a whole bunch of those little shows and I was going crazy trying to do commission work and do those shows and create inventory. And I mean, I was just going stir crazy and I was always behind on everything and I was stressed out. and My, my work wasn't doing as well. Um, so the next year I slowed down a little bit. I focused more on my commission work. I cut the shows down a little bit. And so I do, I do like, Six shows in the summertime, something like that. Okay. You know, and most of like Reed'sport's probably the biggest one that I do. I do. I did another one, the Washington State Championship or whatever it's called, up in Birch Bay, Washington, which was a, a, an all right event. That was pretty fun. And, uh, I don't
0: know if I've ever heard of that one. I didn't know you guys had a state
1: championship. A, yeah, they, they've they've been doing it for. I think this was the fourth year, and this was my third year there. Oh. And then they do—I do sand and sawdust, or um, sawdust and sand, or whichever way it goes. I do—I've been doing that one for. My kids it.
0: love that one because that's like right on, right by the beach.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a fun show. They—I I, you work really hard at that show, um, but it's They're usually
0: make a lot of carvings. I feel like,
1: and it's a good money maker. Usually, I make pretty decent money there, yeah. and. Like I said, I kind of, I don't worry about the inventory so much anymore. Um, I usually try to make sure I have, you know, two to three pieces to take with me just for mostly to show what I make and how, you know, what my style is. And, you know, if I can sell them, then I'm, I'm you know, helps pay for the trip and whatnot. And, right. Um, I mostly go to the shows. I mean, my, I don't, that isn't my main source of income. Um, I mostly go to, you know, for the, to hang out with the other carvers. Cause I've learned an incredible amount just from going to shows from like hundreds of different carvers. And I've got to meet carvers from all over the place. You know, i mean like meeting you, you know, from all the way across the country and Brandon Wilson from all the way across the country. And, uh, right. you know, that's, you just get to meet new friends and learn new styles and just to have a good time for the most part.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe you, you might've answered my next. I was going to ask you what, what do events and competitions do for you as a carver? So is that, is that it you think?
1: You know, I mean, and at the same time, you know, I give out business cards and, and I get work from it. You know, that's, that's a lot of the commission work that I get. Um, And, you know, and at Reed'sport, usually I can, you know, you can sell your piece. You know, you get to keep it and you can sell it. And I've usually had fairly good luck if I price them right, selling them down there. And, you know, so so some of the shows I make a pretty decent amount of money. And then other ones I just go to more for fun. Um, And and it
0: sounds like a lot of the shows are somewhat close to home. So that helps with commission stuff. A lot of times I'm across the country and I'm going... I don't I don't know. I'm I haven't shipped a lot. You need to get into shipping, I guess.
1: Yeah, I haven't um surprisingly, you know, lots of people do that and I just uh I, I don't get a maybe I don't um uh put my name out in other places as much. Um but I mean, I don't I don't get a lot of carvings to ship. Most of them are you know, I've sold a lot of carvings in Washington and Oregon. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a lot of the places, but you know, we're not too far from Seattle, so there's a lot of money in Seattle. Sure. And there's a lot of carvers over there, too. But that's a, that's another thing I've found is it really doesn't seem to matter how many carvers are around. Um, you know, that was something that Bob King told me. He said, you build a fan base, and those people, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're up against the best carver in the world. Your fan base is always going to love your carvings more than everybody else's. And he said, and those oh, yeah. are the. Important people to treat good, and to uh, continue to build that. And you know, I found it to be very true that you know I got people that you know to to them I'm the best carver in the world. Um, and it, you know, I got to kind of chuckle to myself because it's like, I mean, obviously you guys haven't seen some of the carvers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's good yeah. advice though from Bob because. You know having I live in Hackensack and we had that we had the big event here, and it's kind of created a lot of carvers like I started carving because of that event um there was already one one carver in town um and then a second carver started carving kind of after the event and I think at one point there was like seven people carving in a town of three hundred you know and uh it didn't matter we all had wood,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, and and, I mean, at the same time, I mean, I I have a, I mean, I've always been driven to like, even when I drew, it's like, I have a thing where it's like, I want to be better than the next guy. And, uh, you know, a competitive spirit when it comes to it. And Mm -hmm. even I mean, when I first started carving here, there wasn't any carvers that, you know, were around. And I mean, literally, I started carving and within six months, there was other carvers and they just kind of came out of the woodwork. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going (laughs) to ruin my business. I mean, I was, I mean, I thought I was going to be the only one here. And, you know, and it's like, I just, to me, I just try to stay one step ahead of them. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if I have to do that or not. I mean, that's not, but that's just my mentality. Um, Yeah. And I met a, I met a carver from Alaska and he said that, you know, other car, he told me, he goes, other carvers are good. Just like you were saying, you know, the more carvers there are, the more visible they become and the more people want them. And he said, and if right. you're worried about the guy next to you being better, he said, don't get bitter, get better. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I really liked that, you know, instead of being angry with these people and hating them because they're my competition, just try to be better and you know, work hard to be here. So that that's kind of the way that I go about the other carvers here. Some of them I'm friends with some of them. I'm, um, I'm not, I mean, not that I'm enemies with them. I just don't know them. Right. Um, I don't think any of them travel and do competition carvings or anything like that. Most of them just hang around town and, and do inventory sales. And I think they do pretty well too. Um, You know, they have storefronts. But uh, yeah, and, and and you know, and even with the carving shows, sometimes I have a mixed feelings about carving shows, you know, with the doing auctions and stuff like that. Sometimes I think that it hurts carvers progress more than it benefits our progress. I mean, you know, people are getting your stuff for, you know, a quarter of what you would normally sell it for. and right. And they're like, oh, I scored this awesome piece. And it's like then and, and I've actually even had customers well i I bought something like that at a carving show, and I got it for two hundred bucks and then you know, and I'm trying to charge them fifteen hundred bucks for it and right. you know, explain to them that that's an auction, and you know that's just the way that they work, so sometimes yeah. I have mixed emotions about um, you know the way that it works
0: <laughs> I know I actually had a an artist here that does metal work and glass blowing. You know, everybody is always asking us for pieces for like a silent auction to fundraise.
1: Oh yeah.
0: And he said a lot of times he doesn't like to do a lot of those because people will say, Oh, I got a glass blown lampshade, um, you know, at a silent auction that was yours for 20 bucks. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. He said, if he, if he does it enough it's to devalue his work, and people won't pay what it's actually worth, so it's kind of along the same lines of what you're talking about.
1: Well, and I think that sometimes it's like you know, I mean, because cha- I think chainsaw carving has came from being uh, more of a um, a rough artwork to you know, I mean, it's it's down to where it's becoming fine art, and yeah. uh, it's but- definitely
0: evolving fast.
1: But yet, I mean, even the guys that are selling their stuff for a ton of money, they're still not getting fine art prices for them, you know? Um, and I mean, some of them might, I mean, I haven't found that market, but I think, but at the same time, I mean, I, I'm just as guilty as anybody. I mean, I'm not knocking, you know, people that do it, but at the same time, I, I think that the auctions and stuff like that, it um, I think it does devalue our work in some cases and and I think that, you know, I mean, I even know for myself when I'm carving for something like that, a lot of times I don't put the effort into the carving that I would put in if I was making it for a person just because of that.
0: It's, yeah. like,
1: it's just for an auction. It's going to sell for 200 bucks. <laughs> so right. I do $200 worth of work to it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the shows, sometimes they're kind of a love hate thing, but they just like everything else, it seems to work out. and You know, most shows I make pretty good money at. Um, and, and this year I did get invited to Cedro Woolley, the logger rodeo, which I think is actually one of the oldest running chainsaw carving events. Um,
0: I don't think I knew that.
1: Yeah. They, uh, I think this year is going to be its 25th year this next year, not this year was its 24th year. Next year it's going to be 25 years.
0: That's cool. because Most shows don't seem to hang around forever. They seem to start to have some kind of issue and then disappear.
1: Yeah, and it was uh, it was a very uh, it's a very cool show. Um, it's real small. I think there was twelve of us carving, and uh, they they liked. I think they like to keep it small. And mm-hmm. the only the only way that you can get in there, I guess, is to you know to win at another event, and then you can get an invite to that one. Okay. <clears throat> So, so that's pretty, that was pretty cool. It was a really cool show. You get really nice big cedar logs and they take good care of you there. It was a lot of fun.
0: <clears throat> well, that might go along with, I was actually going to ask you. So you recently placed first this year in the semi-pro division at in Reedsport at the Oregon Divisional. So out there at Reedsport, they have semi-pro and pro. Which I don't know about all events, but most of the events over here by me in the Midwest don't do that. So, what does what does that mean if you place first in semi pro? What does that mean for next year, and how do you feel about it?
1: Well, uh, I th- you know to be honest with you, I think there's only a few events that actually do pro and semi pro that I know of. Yeah, uh, and and I think that the re I think I mean I don't know for sure, but I think what the it's the remnants of like the Echo Cup carving series. And okay. they they used to do a whole series of carving events and it was like, you know, like NASCAR, you know, you placed at this event, you got to go to this event, and it qualified you for the main event. And then uh and I think that's where like the semi pro came into effect. Okay. Uh, and uh and I mean, I didn't even know any different when I started carving at Reedsport. I mean, I did, I knew, you know, it's like, oh, my, you know, Mark Culp and Bob King and um, Heroku Kodoma, you know, it's like, I can't carve against those guys. I'm going to do the semi-pro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, I actually wasn't sure because, like, the events here don't have it. So anytime I've gone... I've emailed them and been like, what am I? Am I, am I summer pro or am I pro? I've been doing it for a long time, but I just do it part time. And <laughs> so they just tell me.
1: <laughs> and I, and I think a lot of it with like Reed's it's kind of like a rite of passage kind of thing, you know, yeah. like you place here and then, you know, and, and I think that it gives the people that are newer or the people that don't do it full time, you know, that don't dedicate every day of their life to carving a chance to actually go somewhere and compete against people that are at the same place they are. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, it kind of weeds out the guys that are, you know, it, it starts weeding people out and putting them in a different bracket, you know, so that, you know, when, once you get so good, it's like, no, you need to carve with these guys and, and let these people, you know, compete. And then, You know, and and it makes, I think it makes people better because it's like, it gives you something to go for, you know. Because
0: now you're, since you played first, you're kicked out of semi-pro, right?
1: Yeah. So now now, you're
0: officially pro. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I'm officially a pro carver. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, And I even met like Jason Stoner. I met him and was hanging out with him and he's like, he was really confused on that. He's like, well, you carve for a living. So how can you be semi-professional if you're a professional carver by trade? then how can you be semi-pro? And I mean, the only way I could really explain it is, is when I started carving, um, that's what I was, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to go jump right in the mix with, um, you know, all these big names and try to compete against it. I mean, I barely even knew how, I mean, I barely even had any tools or the right tools or even knew what to do with the tools the first year I carved at Reedsport. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, it's been my goal to be a pro carver and to compete and be able to compete against all the big names and, you know what I mean, and. And I believe that if I continue doing what I'm doing, you know, there's no reason why I can't be right up there with them or beat them. Um, I, uh, I love to do what I do and I love to get better every time I do something. So there's no reason why I can't be where any of them are, you know, and and that's one thing I admire about a lot of the, the pro carvers, the big names, Bob King, Mark Culp, um, You know, all those guys, I mean, you look at like uh, uh, Jeff Moore, all these guys that are, you know, I mean, they make, they don't just make a living. They make a really good living doing what they're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: they're not scratching by, you know, just barely making it as a roadside chainsaw carver. They're, they're making a really good living doing what they're doing and, uh, and they became successful. So, I mean, I, I believe that I can do the same thing if you just work hard.
0: Yeah. So, and that might've already answered this, but I was going to ask you maybe other ones too. What, what are your goals with carving and what helps you achieve your goals? And maybe you've answered it already, but
1: my, my biggest goal is just to, um, my biggest goal with carving is just to, to continue doing something I love and be able to make a living doing it. Um, that, that's my biggest goal with carving and being, you know, like I said, not just make a a little bit of money, but make enough that I can, you know, our families happy and healthy. Um, that's my, my main concern is my family. I like, um, you know, I don't want to feel like I don't contribute to my family. I want to feel like that. I mean, my wife has a good job that carries the insurance and, you know, I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to do what I was doing if I didn't have her,
0: um insurance it's the worst
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's a big deal and uh, and she makes good money too um which helped when i started because i didn't make very good money carving but you know it, it's turned into something where you know i mean people are always like so what do you do for a real job and it's like this is my real job <laughs> and i do pretty well you know i mean um and, and i feel good about what i do um and you know Sometimes it does become, someone told me, you know, oh, don't let this become a, you know, the job that you quit, you know, to become a carver. And I was like, well, I didn't really quit a job to become a carver. I just fell into it. Um, yeah. But it is my job. And, you know, sometimes, you know, just like any job, you're, you know, it's like, you you know, you have a long, grueling day at work. It's like, I hate my job. Um, and, you know, I have those days as a carver, too. Um, mm-hmm. or cold and we get lots and lots of rain out here and you're out there and just everything's moist and wet and gross out. And I don't want to get out of bed just like going to work. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to do this. But at the same time, um, I, I love doing it. And sometimes it's also nerve wracking. It's like, you know, I'll make good money. Like this summer I made good money. And it's like, am I going to make good money this winter? You know, it's like, it's almost like an unknowing you know all the, but it you know i've I've found that, like I said, if you know you, you do you do good things and good things happen, and I feel like uh, you know even in the carving world I've created good karma and that'll continue to come around, and I'll continue to be successful if I continue to do that
0: <clears throat> cool uh,
1: I mean, and another big goal of mine is is I'd love to make it overseas um, I'd love to go, uh, carve in Germany. Um, I've, um, Australia, any of those places, I think that would be, that'd just be an epic journey. Me and my wife like to go on adventures and
0: there you uh, go. Yeah.
1: So, so my goal is to make it and go do something like that over there. Um, Some of
0: them you can apply to start applying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Um, and yeah, I know like even like the English open and stuff like that, you can apply to and get, and they're not, you know, they're not super strict on, you know, it's not strictly invite by
0: right.
1: name is or, or anything like that. And uh yeah, I think that that's, that's a big goal too. I mean, I've already got to do lots of traveling, um carving. I mean, I had, had some people pay to fly us to Denver, Colorado. That was really cool. They paid for our airfare um, for me and my wife. They gave us a a place to stay, gave us a car to use and a giant stump to carve and paid me for this carving. And then we even got to hang out for like an extra five days and go travel around in Colorado. And I've never been there before. So it was pretty awesome to go see.
0: Wow, that's cool.
1: and and make a little money at the same time didn't cost us to go we actually yeah. made to go.
0: <laughs> yeah sweet oh so, i was also going to ask you what tool tips do you have for for other carvers if any
1: um you know i i used to also work in the millwrights union and um a friend of mine um told me he said you know he goes whenever you go onto a job, he said, look at all the guys, look at their tools. And he said, pick the guy with the nicest tools and stick to his side. He said a good millwright has good tools. And, uh, you know, and, and I've actually brought that with me into this. And it's like, I look at the guys that, that do exceptional work. They have exceptional tools. And so I mean, my, I guess my advice is to spend the money on the tools, um, to make sure that you have everything that you need. And I, for a long time, and even now I still do it every time I, I have some extra money from carving, I, uh, I buy a tool that I need or want Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I have a pretty epic pile of tools. Sometimes I think I have too many. I mean, I got boxes of tools and my truck squatted down when I head to a show, but (laughs) And, you know, and they're always coming out with new tools. But, I mean, I I find that the better the tools, the easier my work is, the better my work turns out. Um, And so the tools are a big factor. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without tools. So if you cheat yourself on tools, then you're going to cheat yourself on the quality of work that you turn out.
0: Sure. I know, too. Speaking of tools and and buying stuff, I have a – I'm waiting for a Harry Kane. But, and I think I sometimes they're backed up, and I ordered it in May. And I was at a show with Abby Peterson, and I was trying to make a canoe without the Harry King. <laughs> uh, and my husband, Eric, like, just ask to borrow Abby's. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to be always using other people's tools, you know, and wear and tear on them. And, and he's like, it's going to take you all day to hollow out that canoe. And I finally, I did ask Abby and it, it went so much better with the, yeah. the power gouge and I'm, I'm like, man, I need a power gouge.
1: Well, and that's really what, uh, you know, and it's like, so if you have the right tool for the job, then you, um, you know, it makes your life so much easier. And like you said, I mean, even if you're to hollow it out with a chainsaw, you know, it takes so long, you get tired, you start skimping on what you're doing because it's like, well, do I have to really get this thing all the way hollowed out? Right. If you had the gouge done with it. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, and that was you know, th- those are big purchases for, s- especially somebody starting out. That's a mm-hmm. big purchase. I mean, I I don't have the the smaller Harry Kane, but I got the big Eater power gouge, and and yeah, I right. love that That's thing.
0: That's actually what I borrowed from Adam. Yeah. He didn't have the.
1: I, I I mean, I use that thing every day. I mean, it's one of my most used tools. Um, and it was, I mean, and it paid for itself within a week just from what I could use it for. Yeah. I mean, it made it faster. I could add different effects to it. Um, so, yeah, the, using the tool or having the right tool for the job and, and making sure that you spend, you know, you know, using cheap saws, stuff like that. I mean, it just doesn't benefit. I tried doing that and, you know, I've tried the Harbor Freight shopping and I still buy some stuff at Harbor Freight. My wife gets mad at me. Um, <laughs> because, you know, she's like, why don't you just go buy a good one? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't really want to spend the money. And then a week later I'm mad. Cause it broke. And, <laughs> All uh, right. and uh, you know, she's just go buy it. It's for your work. You know, that's, you know, if it makes your job easier then that's, then you should have it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I'm pretty lucky with that. Most of the time she has to tell me to, you know, just buy it. <laughs> I, I hem and haw over it for about six months and then I buy it.
0: <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm fully going to admit, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm terrible at like tax taxes and stuff. My husband's definitely my accountant, but a lot of times he's going, um you need to spend, invest the money in your business, you know, for for like a write-off. He's like, you haven't bought anything for your business. So tax-wise, you should buy something for your business. And I'm I'm going, okay, okay, no problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it is, it's, you know, especially for, you know, being self-employed, we get charged higher tax rates and stuff like that. So if you don't have write-offs, um, it, it's, you know, detrimental to what, you know, when it comes tax time.
0: Yeah.
1: And I mean, I just uh, recently got a lift gate for my truck and, you know, that was like a huge purchase. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, uh, and then after I purchased it, it was like, man, I should have bought this thing before I even bought a chainsaw.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And, uh, and, you know, and you know, that's a tax write off, not just for this year, but for the next three or four years, you know, it's a big purchase and makes my life better. You know, I mean, and I'm, you know, I mean, I can stand logs up with it, even know where I work, I don't have to worry about that. I got machinery to do it all. But, you know, I mean, if I'm on, you know, I mean, I can use it to lift up big carvings so I'm not bent over working on them. Um, it, you know, it saves my back from having to try to unload a big sculpture out of the back of my truck without it. Um, so, I mean, you know, again, it points back to having the right tool for the job um, makes my life better. Because my, you know, I was, I mean, I was always hurting my back, um, trying to get carvings out of the back of the truck and everything like that, or trying to get them in the back of the truck.
0: Or, yeah.
1: Or, I, you know, it really limited what I could do. I couldn't really do huge sculptures for people because I, unless they had a way to unload them, mm-hmm. um, now can, you know, I can deliver a pretty large sculpture and pretty, pretty much put it wherever they want. And cool. so it will. You know, it opened up more, and and like I said, it paid for itself. I mean, I, I put I put it on there, and I sold three carvings that way more than paid for the lift gate that I couldn't have done without the lift gate. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and so most most of the time when you invest in the tools, they pay for themselves rather quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: even when it comes to having the right bars on your saws, you know. Um, I, I spend a lot of money on chainsaw bars, and um, they make my life better. Yeah. You know, I get, I can get the effect that I want, um, and I can, you know, I can keep up better when I have the right tool for the job. And, I know, you know especially people. Kind
0: of- people are always surprised at how much I spend on a chainsaw bar, but man, some of those Japanese bars—they just I can't even explain it. When you're making a cut, they just like bend in the wood. Like they'll just flex and turn and you can make cuts that you can't make with a, with a thicker bar.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, in the, in the smaller, the the smaller tips, I mean, it's, it's amazing how far I can go on a sculpture without having to touch it with another tool. Yeah. With just, just with the chainsaw. You know, and you know, I mean a lot of my carvings I can get like ninety, ninety-five percent of the carving without touching it with an electric tool.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I was just gonna say, and some of those bars are just so fun to carve with that it just makes me smile when I'm carving.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and you you start, you know, you can add different you know, I mean it just adds a different flair to your carvings when you can do what you want. you know, it's like you have an an effect in your mind that you want to portray in your carving. And if you don't have the right tools, you're out there with a, you know, a 20 inch tuny tip trying to fur a bear out, you know, I right. you know, get the same effect if you're using a small dime tip or smaller saw. Right. I, I, uh, I mean, I love my tools. I mean, I'm like a kid in the candy store when it comes to my tools. I mean, I, I don't think I can have too many, <laughs> go to, like I said, I mean, I, I kind of quit buying tools at Harbor Freight. I don't buy, I just buy like sandpaper and necessities and stuff there. I don't buy their tools a whole lot anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and it's really cool. Makita's came out with that whole battery line. So I've started buying their tools and then I can use those batteries on all my tools. And so,
0: yeah, that's nice.
1: And it's really cool that they've even kind of came into the chainsaw carving world you know, they're producing stuff that's, you know, made our lives better. I mean, I love the battery powered saws and stuff.
0: <clears throat> right. Um, I know it's always and, uh, appreciated when a company recognizes and sponsors carvers.
1: Yeah. And, it, and they're focusing on it and they're making tools that make our lives better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, there's, It's becoming a pretty big industry, I think, you know, I mean, maybe not comparatively to like logging sports or stuff like that, but at the same time, you know, we spend, I spend, I spend just myself a lot of money in tools and, you know, there's, you know, how many thousands of carvers out there that are purchasing those tools. It's like, there's a lot of money in it Yeah. for these big companies. Yeah. Tools are definitely, you know, don't skimp on tools. You know, that's my biggest thing with advi- advice on tools is you just buy what you need and do it right the first time.
0: <laughs> so my last question is just, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't covered?
1: Um, you know, I mean, not a lot. I mean, I, I, I love the chainsaw carving world. I love doing what I do. And I really, the community of it is so, um, it's so neat because there's, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, you know, you got these guys that are like the rock stars, you know, they're the big names. And then once you get to know them, they're, they're just regular people. And most of them are willing to help. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for that help and, you know, it, carving wouldn't go anywhere and it's really cool that those guys that are so far ahead in the game, you know they've been doing I mean like Mark hope's been carving for like 39 years or 38 years or something like that. Yeah. I mean how do you compete against somebody that's been carving that long? Um, you know he's been carving as long as I've been alive <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and you know and, and it's kind of crazy starting I mean I didn't start carving until I was 36 years old. And, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I have to grow faster than people, than other people, because it's like, I don't have all this time to, to grow. You know, it's like, I got to grow in leaps and bounds or otherwise I'm not going to keep catch up. Right. And, you know, and it's really cool to see people like Brandon Wilson. He was recently out here hanging out, going fishing and stuff. And, you know, he's 22 years old. He's already been carving for five or seven years or something like that. And it's like, and he's an incredible carver Yeah, ready. And it's like, where can that guy go? You know, with how much time he, you know, he's got a whole pile of time ahead of him to, to learn and perfect what he's doing. And he's already amazing at it. Right. Um, Sometimes I'm a little jealous. (laughs) It's like, man, I started doing that when I was, 17 years old. I know. I,
0: I kind of found it late in life too. But like you said, it, it's in, the community is incredible and everybody's willingness to mentor and teach and help everything like evolve and grow. And just that the whole concept too of like the next generation of carvers is maybe going to push it further than the last generation and it just keeps growing and evolving. And but everybody's good with helping everybody out with that.
1: Well, yeah. And if you kept everything a secret, then, you know, like you said, it's the, you know, everything would die out, um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, and usually like if somebody like Chris Foltz or Mark Culp or even uh, Jeff Samadusky, however you say his last name, um, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing, you know, I mean, I don't even have to ask most of the time, they'll see that I'm doing something and they'll even maybe like what I'm doing or think that, you know, I could change what I'm doing. And and they just jump right in and they're like, you know, hey, try adding this in there, you know, um, and you'll see. And it's like, wow, you know, that changed my whole sculpture.
0: Yeah. And
1: you, know, they could have just walked by and said, you know, whatever, you know. Right. This guy, this guy will be my competition or something. Why should I teach him what I know? Um, and you you don't see a lot of that in the carving world.
0: No, um, just a small percentage of grumpy grumpy people. <laughs>
1: yeah, and most of them I don't even like. I said, I mean, you know, I mean, and there's the I I, I kind of see two different worlds, or maybe even more in the carving world. There's like the the gypsy roadside carvers that you know they. They travel around, they do shows. That's how they make their money. Um, They like to drink beer and, and party and, you know, like live like, you know, the Motley (laughs) crew lifestyle. (laughs) And uh, you know, and, and then you got the guys, like I said, that you can look at that have been very successful. You know, they run a very successful business. They're really good at what they do. Um, They make great artwork and, you know, and, for me, I mean, I'm not a partier. Like I don't, I'm completely sober. I don't drink or smoke marijuana or any of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, my, my heart kind of leans towards the people that don't do that also. (laughs) yeah. And I don't have anything against the people that do. I mean, you know, whatever works for you. I mean, that's what's so wonderful about chainsaw carving is there's so many different avenues you can go down, you know, if, and if, you know, I mean, I mean, even per se, if, you know, carving commission work doesn't work out for me that well, then, you know, I can always carve a whole bunch of inventory and have a roadside thing or, you know, and I can always take inventory to shows and usually make some money. I mean, there's just so many different ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think there's any wrong way to do it. <laughs> it's just whatever you, whatever you seem to like to do. Right. And that's that's my infinite words of wisdom.
0: <laughs> Thank you for your infinite words of wisdom. People are going to be excited <laughs> to hear from you. Well, Nick, I appreciate you being on, taking the time to talk with us.
1: Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you offering to do it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. We are really about connecting carvers and making sure that we can hear each other's stories and just have this great carving community. So we want to get the podcast out there to anyone that wants to hear it. So please like it, give it a rating, share it so that people can find it. Uh, And then make sure you also go and check out our other episodes. Thanks for listening.